On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast. If you ask me, honestly, I think he's the future. But right now, Byrne is there. He plays the position non, like all the time. Um, I like that Crowley has a little bit of um, variation, but I just think pick the pure 10. Uh, he's led Leinster you know, really, really well last season for pretty much the, the vast majority of the season. Um, he is a, a pressure player despite some of the garbage that was talked about the, the, the Heineken Cup final. And he's done it in a, in, a, in a green jersey for Farrell. Um, so I think they'll go with him. I think they should go with him. Ireland's World Cup preparation kicks up another gear this week with the team based in Biarritz ahead of Saturday's final warm-up game against Samoa in Bayonne. After that, it is full steam ahead for the opening World Cup pool game against Romania. Welcome to the left wing. Will Slattery here with you. I'll be joined in just a few minutes by Luke Fitzgerald and Keane Tracy to discuss all the talking points from the England game. But first, I'm delighted to be joined by Rory O'Connor, who is over in France with the Ireland team this week. And Rod, you really drew the short straw, but someone has to do it. Someone has to go to the south of France and keep in touch with the Ireland team, how the preparations are going on. Maybe you might set the scene for us just in terms of what this week means in the overall grand scheme of things. Andy Farrell has teed it up as kind of a, a trial run for, for some of the World Cup games with the late kickoff and just how they're going to manage the week. And is there anything else to be gleaned from this week in particular for you? Yeah, well, I think that is the idea Like that they're basically replicating what they're going to do between Romania and Tonga. Um, they moved on Sunday, which they'll do at the World Cup. Um, they have different accreditations, so certain people who would normally be in the dressing room won't be allowed in the dressing room during the World Cup, so they're kind of putting that into place this week. And there's, it's all very small things that, you know, little details that many of us might not notice, but it's stuff that they need to be ready for when they get over to uh, back to France in a couple of weeks because they do come home from from Biritz at the end of this week and have a couple of days off. You know, the squad's named on Monday and then they'll, they'll fly back out on Friday week and it's all becoming very, very real. So um, it, it's warmer here than it will be during the World Cup, but even just to, to taste the French atmosphere, there's a big crowd expected. Uh, apparently it's close to being sold out in Bayonne. I think mostly locals. I'm sure there's some tourists in the area. Um, Irish tourists are on their holidays who'll nip up, but it's, it's, I think the because the World Cup isn't taking place in this part of France, um, there's a big kind of there's a bit of excitement around it as a fixture as well. Samoa are going well. They're obviously a similar profile of team to Tonga. You know, a lot of former New Zealand players who are playing for them, just like Tonga. So there's um, there's that as well. So it'll it'll be a tough game for Ireland, and and it will test them in in, in different ways. And um, yeah, that's kind of what he's trying to get out of it. At the same time, as preparing the team, he's also trying to pick a squad that's complicated by the fact that they don't know what's going on with Dan Sheehan just yet. So and they've got a decision to make there as to whether they carry him. With the, in the hope that it'll be fit for some of the pool games or not. So there's a lot going on for them. I think it's delayed what they're able to do in terms of squad selection. Um, he had hoped to, I think, finalise the squad before the end of the week, before naming it next Monday. Obviously, you know, you play Samoa, there's a risk of injury. Uh, that you know, what you pick on a Friday might not be still available on a, on a Sunday. But that's kind of what they're thinking behind it. That's you know, it's, this is an RFU home game. This they, they they scheduled it here. They wanted to do this. this uh, some people have seen this as kind of a bit of an imposition on Ireland it's not they, they put this themselves in, in the schedule because they wanted to be as thorough as they could in preparation and having kind of been mixed against Italy and, and England I think they want a performance as well Yeah I hope it goes a little smoother than the last time they played in Bayonne <laughs> in a World Cup warm game in 2007 Brian Driscoll ended up with a fractured cheekbone I remember I tried to get in touch with the guy who, who threw the punch before the last World Cup I think he sells like charcuterie in the south of France now or something like that something Kiwi lock. No, he's a, he's a New Zealand. I, yeah, his name just escapes me right now. I sent him an email last week as well, looking for for a piece, but he's ghosted me as well. Uh, Will, yeah. so don't don't get too. We upset. might get some charcuterie um, out of it. If nothing he else, he trained as a chef 
He yeah. trained as a chef in in while he, while he was playing rugby here, and has since gone back to New Zealand and now sells um, French food to uh, kind of supplies at French food to restaurants. So, um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a good story. Someone will get him at some stage, I've, I've no doubt. But he he hasn't uh, expressed any interest in talking to us yeah, this week. To, to be fair, it's not the most compelling kind of pitch. Do you want to talk about the time you broke Brian Driscoll's cheekbone, mate? Like, is in it's not I like know, it's I tried, tried to his... sell it as you know one moment doesn't define a career and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> but uh, he uh, he wasn't biting. Maybe he'll pick it up and maybe he'll hear us today and and, and want to tell his story. But just just right now. Um, it's Mike Tewata is his name and uh, yeah. yeah so he's a blast from the past in a, in a Bayonne team I like to play you know it's very different it's a test match against a, a team who are also preparing for a World Cup and we've all seen what's going on with red cards so Bayonne or sorry Samoa won't be as loose as Bayonne were in 2007 that was a French team out to make a, a bit of a statement when Ireland were playing against France a couple of weeks later in the World Cup it was a very ill-advised fixture to take on at short notice and it had a had a fairly big ramification and a disastrous campaign. So there's a very different feel about this World Cup campaign. I think Ireland are warming up quite nicely and there's a good good feeling around the, the camp and stuff. So um yeah, they you know, it, it, it does bring back those memories, but I don't think there's any real relevance this week. We hope not anyway. Yeah, you mentioned Danchi and you know, you've kind of been out in front of, of that story this week. You know, what what's the latest? I know you were at the press conference earlier today, this is Tuesday, talking with Mike Cat and he gave a little bit of an update, but what's the kind of general feeling around his availability or or lack thereof potentially? Yeah, the word the word coming through yesterday was it was about you know four to six weaker and I heard sorry, six to eight weaker, six to eight weaker. And, and I that, I got that from a couple of different sources. That was the word going around. The RFU are very much adamant that, that they don't think it's going to be that long. Um, there is a sense that with very intensive rehab, which you know she and as a pro rugby player will do, and he is a quick healer, can beat that timeline. And if if he does, even six to eight puts him in frame for the Scotland game. If it's around four, which I think they're hope they're hoping it's going to be, as he works with a specialist today. That's the word today from my cat was that he was seeing a specialist back in Dublin and, and that they'll have a clar- greater clarity tomorrow or on Thursday. Um, that. You know, four weeks will put him right in the middle of the pool stages and give them a chance to get him, get him involved in the two big pool games that were that, that everyone's focusing on. You know, like Ireland need to hit the ground running really against South Africa rather than Romania and Tonga. They, they know that they can beat Romania and Tonga, but the fear is that she and they bring she and he doesn't recover quickly enough. And obviously with Ron Keller, um, ha, you know, currently out injured with a with a hamstring and with a fairly dubious record in terms of injuries over the years can you carry both of them and you know do you bring four hookers you know Tom Stewart and Rob Herring will play this weekend um not sure which one will start but we'll we'll know more about that by Thursday but like do you bring the two Ulster guys plus Sheehan do you bring Kelleher the two Ulster lads and Sheehan and someone like say and then maybe make a sacrifice at scrum half you know does it impact on those decisions that we've been talking about you know with the the, the split of forwards and backs, like it's it's a real cloud hanging over those discussions this week, and it makes life very tricky for Andy Farrell as he makes these decisions. So, yeah, they're they're being a bit more upbeat on it today. They're definitely they're denying that it's a six to eight week injury, which is fair enough, and um, we'll, we'll we'll see what comes out of it. But it's not good that it, like he's such an exceptional player. I, I one professional coach onto me yesterday describing um, Sheehan as Ireland's only X factor player. That's how important he feels that he is. Now I think that's a little bit you know, but I think who said in terms of. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to uh, divulge that. But like, look, he scored two tries against England. Like he t- scored two tries in the Heineken Champions Cup final. There's not many hookers in the world who are able to produce what he can in open play. So he is one of those players that elevates Ireland beyond the 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 kind of me- the, the the you know the other teams in, in the in the sport. And, and you know, when you're playing against someone like South Africa, he's such an important figure. So look, he's not here. Jack Conan and Ronan, or sorry, and Dave Kilcoyne are also back in Dublin. I don't think Sexton trained today, but like I suppose he's on a different time frame than everyone else. Kelleher didn't train. Don't think James Lowe trained him, but he's doing that kind of HIA recovery. Like you know, I wouldn't expect him to be involved next weekend. So um, yeah, like it's it's they're, they're kind of planning without him at the moment for this game, but I think he's firmly still part of their their thinking, and and they they don't want to make a rash decision that rules him out because if they don't pick him then they they need an injury to get him back in if he's potentially available for the biggest games and that could be a it, it's very tricky for them it's, there's a lot to discuss yeah so what what kind of team do you expect any for to, to pick on Thursday who do you expect to see yeah like we 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 don't know just yet. We, like they trained this morning, you know. I think we're going to see a, a, a blend of the two teams that we've seen before. Andy Farrell said he, it's not going to be a B team. Like he's treating this as a full test. He wants, I, I guess, he wants a, probably a similar enough team that the one that will play against Tonga, if that's the way they're kind of treating these games. So 
you know, I, I, like we, you know, with Ross Burns starting last week, do they rotate back to Crowley? Like, do they, you know, Conor Murray hasn't started the game yet. Does he get a run this time? Um, do they try, say, like someone like Jimmy O'Brien, you know, he's got a, you know, he's versatile. Do they try him in a different position? And then up front, they like to get game time into, into players. So I think some of the props might be back from last week and um, they might rotate through that as they might through those first two games, you know, put guys on the bench and then bring them in for the, the you know, for, for Romania and then bring them into the starting team for Tonga. I think it'll be strong Ireland team against a, a Samoa team who are have a lot of intel on, on, on the Irish players. Andrew Goodman, the Leinster coach, is uh, is on part of their backroom team. They've got a Leinster analyst as well who's been seconded to them for the tournament. John Lacey's been in preparing them this week as well, the Irish referee. So they'll um, they won't be certainly will know what's going on with Ireland and have have a good sense of them and will be very competitive. I think they've been they've been better than Tonga in, in the last couple of months and they have a, a very good team. But yeah, I think it's going to be a strong Irish team without being maybe the the first first choice that we saw largely against England. Um, it's whoever needs what Andy Farrell said. It's it's whoever needs game time will play if they feel like someone needs a tune up. Um, this is, I suppose, their last chance to do it. Although Romania are so weak that 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 that's the fourth warm-up game, really, because you know they won't lay a glove on Ireland. You know that that will be a very facile win for Ireland and Bordeaux. So um, the tournament probably really gets going a week later against Tonga, building up to that South Africa game. So yeah, like it's it's going to be as I said, mix and match, pretty strong without being completely first choice. Great stuff, Rod. Enjoy the rest of the week, and we'll chat to you soon. Cheers, well. Great stuff from Rudd, as always, and I'm now delighted to welcome in Luke and Keen to the show. And lads, we might just get straight into kind of one of the, the big talking points at the moment around the World Cup squad, and that is, you know, Dan Sheehan, should they take him, should they not take him, depending on his injury? Luke, for you, for you, like, say if Dan Sheehan threw out for the first three matches and, and could be back fit for Scotland at the end of the pool stage, do you still pick him as one of your three hookers? Do you take four hookers? What do you do there? Yeah, I think he's worth the risk, isn't he? Um, you know, I'd probably have him up. I think he's probably the best hooker in the world, I think. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, I think I'd stand. I would be able to stand over that base in the performances. I think he's uh, done it in the green jersey too. Uh, he's so dynamic in the loose and he's so important to to Ireland's game plan, I think. Um, so that's a fairly big statement, but um, no, I, I, I think I, I could stand over that one. I think he's worth taking the risk. It does pose other challenges for you from a selection point of view. Um, but I just think as well, given how the line out went over the weekend, um, and I don't know how much you can do if your if your foot is in the kind of situ- in the kind of position his is, but you'd like to think that he'll get a feel for how the line out's progressing, um, you know, and how things are evolving over there. You wouldn't want him coming in cold to a big week that you needed a win in, uh, having not seen how the how, how things you know the, the meetings, all those kind of things that you'd be doing while you're in camp. Will you know? Um, so I think there's value in bringing him. I think if he is back and it is achievable to get him back quickly, they should definitely bring him. Yeah, Keen, like I, I think it's a no-brainer. Unless he's been ruled out for the entire pool stage, I think if he can play any part in the pool action, I would definitely bring him. As Luke said, best hooker in the world. I don't see a major problem only having two hookers for the first three weeks. I know Ronan Kelleher, there's question marks around his fitness, but it wouldn't be unusual for two hookers to play across three you know, weekends and maybe having Dan Sheen coming in for the Scotland game. And, you know, Tom Stewart will have been in the squad all summer. He's played against Italy. He's going to play this weekend. He'll be well up to speed with what they're doing in the squad. And, if he had to go back to Ulster for a few weeks and then if Dan Sheehan isn't fit, gets called back into the squad, I don't think that's a major drama either. So for me, it's kind of cut and dried unless... When I first heard about it, I thought it was a big selection dilemma. But the more I think about it, the more I think it just makes sense to bring him. I think it depends on a few things though, really, Will. Um, like Rudd, obviously, we're just listening to him there, had the story that you know he's hearing that it's six to eight weeks. If it's more on the eight weeks side of things and you're talking about that's a World Cup semi-final, even if it's six weeks, that's the last pool game. Like He'd miss South Africa as well. So um, Rudd touched on this too. And like Ronan Kelleher's injury record is a big concern as well. Even like Dan Sheehan aside, like his ability to get through back-to-back games has been an issue for a while. Now, Andy Farrell is pretty optimistic. Like, he doesn't sound like he's going to play this weekend, but that he'll be fit for the Romania game. But like, I mean, that guy just can't catch a break over the last while. So the one thing that we probably haven't mentioned is that Ireland will have up their sleeve is that Keane Healy can slot into hooker if necessary. Now, can he though really? Like I know he played in a half against Scotland, but like, but would you, you know, like if you're if if they do decide to bring four hookers, which I've seen has been mentioned, you know, having Tom Stewart there, then it imbalances 
the rest of the squad, really, because I think before Dan Sheehan got injured, I think Andy Farrell had his 33-man squad in mind, um, to be honest. I think the team that he picked against England in a couple of positions, which I know we'll get onto, sort of reflected that as well. But the idea of taking four hookers, if they did, I don't know, It's it doesn't really sit well with me. So, um like when you hear someone has gone to see a specialist, you automatically kind of think the worst. Um, it's no surprise that Dan Sheehan has been left at home, but the fact that they see, still seem to be in the dark now, they could just be telling us that, but the, the fact that he's gone to see a specialist and they're trying to figure it out to me wouldn't really bode that well. So um, if it's a case where Ireland think he can get back for that Scotland game, I mean, then absolutely, I think it's worth the risk. But if you're thinking more, he might get back for South Africa, the last pool game, then it's a big, big risk. And okay, and I agree with Luke. Like, I mean, it is, the the guy is so good that, you know, I can see the merit in taking the risk. But then you look back at someone like uh, a Joey Carberry in 2019, who clearly wasn't fit, went to the World Cup. And has he been the same player since? I don't think so. So this can have massive ramifications going forward as well. So while I understand players want to get to the World Cup and that's obviously what Joey Carby did as well, um, it's it, I think it's going to be a tough decision when it comes down to it. If it's a case where it comes back where it's not as serious as you know has been made out, then absolutely he goes. But um, I think this has thrown a major spanner in the works in terms of Andy Farrell's plans and which way he's going to go with the squad. Yeah, I think that's a fair point to raise around Joey Carberry because that was one that they took a flyer on his fitness and it backfired massively. He didn't, you know, play well at the World Cup. And as he said, it, you know, it kind of kicked off a litany of injuries thereafter and he never really reached the same heights. So obviously it depends first and foremost on the severity of the injury. But in terms of taking the risk, it's just, as Luke mentioned, like Dan Sheehan is probably a top five player in that team, best hooker in the world. Like his inclusion could be the difference between Ireland getting to a first ever semi final and not getting to it. So if there's a chance of him playing I do think he'd have to be fit for at least one pool game but I, I yeah I, I it's it's a really interesting one though Luke like I, I don't think four hookers makes any sense you're just you're really robbing yeah. Peter to pay Paul then at that stage you're really imbalancing the squad but I still think you can get by with two hookers fit for the first three matches and having Dan Chien working his way back to full fitness yeah so I'm, I'm confused as to why like I suppose like you know once if someone goes goes gets injured can you not just send them home and bring someone else like bring Stuart out like I that's yeah do you know I what I mean is that not yeah. I don't know why you would take four I, I think it I think you're right I I would say that that really imbalances the squad it makes training all the, I, it's weird things to consider but even your training sessions become a bit weird you're kind of you might have a hooker then playing like on the wing you know kind of practicing against you all this kind of weird stuff happens that you know Kind of, kind of fall out of overpicking in a position to compensate for a guy like I, I would say she into my mind, um, I would even take him if he can get onto that bench for a quarter final. That's how good. That's how highly I rate him. Seriously, I, I, I'm not even sure he has to play that last one. That's a, that's how good I think he is. And I think if you think about how, how Ireland are playing, like he's just ideal for this team. Um, just how he plays, how he's how good he is around the pitch. He's like he's like a back out there, isn't he? And then he's got that gritty side to him as well. So I, I think you have to bring him. Um, it is a risk, but I think he's worth taking. And I think you'd probably be able to send him home after three or four weeks if, say, there was a setback in the rehab or something like that. Um, but I think he needs to be in the setup if you want to be able to use him. And I think it's important to be ha- to have him if he's if he's fit. For, for a quarter final, which is, I think, what Ireland should absolutely be expecting to get to, even though we respect all the teams in the group. So uh, I would bring him, even if he's coming back for that game. Um, I would say just on the, having had a little bit of experience in the medical field, <laughs> sometimes, sorry, throughout my own career, um, you know, I think going to the consultant is, that's probably a good thing in my mind. I, I There's two sides to that going, Keen. I, I actually get the point. I know everyone kind of, you're thinking, oh, okay, this isn't so easy that a physio can kind of go, right, That's what we know what that is. But I would say you really need to know exactly what this is so you can rehab it perfectly because they'll have a formula for nearly every kind of injury at this stage. They've, they'd have seen it all. Um, so there might be a tried and trusted way of getting this thing back a little bit quickly with more information because like, it's not like your physio or your, or your, your team doc. Like your team doc, of course, could read a scan. But do you want to have the, the guy who's looking at, you know, three or whatever, a thousand ankles a year. I don't know how many, you know, whatever whatever that number is that the consultant or the top consultant is is looking at every year. And they'll be able to tell you, look, this is exactly what this is. This requires that you don't touch this bloody thing for 10 days or whatever. You know, you, there might be something like that. And that's important for you getting back 
10 days on the other end of the injury. So those guys are very instructive and important to, ha- to bring into the, the thought process. So that might be actually a good thing that they've decided to have to get more information. And as well, it, to, to your point, if it is more serious, the consultant will be the guy that'll say, or the girl, excuse me, who could be, who could say, look, that's, um, that, that, you know, look, this guy's, this isn't a runner. Like you, you could damage this guy long-term and it's actually not worth it. Even if he comes back for a last game of a pool or a quarterfinal, he will not be the same player. Um, so all of that information, I think the information is a good thing and just hope for, for the team's sake and for Sheen's sake that, um, you know, he, he is able to get back in quick enough that he can, you know, make a big impact and, and settle into, into the team again, uh, very, very quickly. And I think if, if he can do that, just to, just to reiterate the point, bring him, he's that important. Yeah, it's one of the major talking points. It will be fascinating to see, as you say, what comes out of the specialist and and what Andy Farrell ends up going with because the squad is being picked on Monday. So it's, they don't have a huge amount of time to kind of assess these things or make decisions, albeit, you know, there can be moving parts with someone getting injured and getting called up or someone not recovering in the squad if they pick Dan Sheehan and someone else being called up in his place. So, you know, plenty to discuss here and, and to look look at it in, in the days ahead. Keen, we might, we might look back at the England game a little bit, you know, Clunky has been thrown out a lot by the coaching staff. If I hear the word clunky again, I just feel like I've been hearing it so much since then. But uh, the attack looked really sharp. I know you were writing about the back three in particular. Like That was probably the real high point and probably the most pleasing aspect. Like The, the errors that were made appeared to be kind of surface errors that could be corrected on the training pitch, whereas getting that attack so sharp so quickly with the first choice really coming in for their first game of the season, that bodes very well, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I've having watched it back a couple of times as well. It, it's I still got the same sense from having been there at the at the match at the weekend. Will um, like it was basically the first game of the season because it, like twelve of the for the starting fifteen hadn't played. You know what I mean? There were so many changes in that Italy game, so you have to take that into account. And I thought for a first hit out of the season, um, a lot of the things they did they did really well. There were look, there were line-out issues and you've kind of touched on that there, Will. I don't think I'd be overly concerned. I think the coaches and Paul O'Connell in particular would be really annoyed by those double banking penalties that they're giving away and referees are quite clearly hot on it. But you just got to be able to fix that. But the fact that England were able to kind of manipulate that situation, I suppose it's good to get that kind of lesson now rather than when you go to France. Um, But on the whole, I thought it was pretty good. I think over the last couple of days, it's been interesting to kind of listen to the players we had a piece in up on independent.e and in today's Irish Independent from James and Gibson Park, who was kind of like, not annoyed would be strong, but like kind of frustrated, I would say, with the performance against England. And I thought like, I'm, I'm not sure like how much they were expecting. It probably just shows how high the standards are with, within the four walls of, of the Ireland camp. And that's no bad thing either. But um, like you said, I thought the back three were really, really sharp. I thought Bundiaki looked good. Mm. Um, a lot of the defensive stuff I thought was pretty good as well. Um, the halfbacks were decent. So, um, I mean, that's kind of what you want, isn't it, from a warm-up game. If, if Ireland were coming away thinking that, whoa, they've hit their straps here, this is brilliant, then I think you would be thinking, okay, maybe they have peaked too soon. But now you're going, there is plenty of scope for improvement, but the backs look sharp. The forwards, the I thought the interlink play between the backs and the forwards was very, very good. Um, again, you can see them, how comfortable they are getting into that that shape in terms of the pot of three forwards, adding a kind of view variations around it. Obviously, that's where Bundiaki's try came from. So um, I thought a lot of good things, Will. Um, I know Rudd touched on this. I think the team is going to be changed up considerably I would say again this weekend so it'll be interesting to see when we actually see that team that played last weekend play again it'll be interesting even to get both of your thoughts like when when do you think we'll see that first choice Ireland team again like I mean are they going to play against Romania is it going to be a mix and match between the two What, what do you think yeah do you want to come in on that Luke yeah I think he's got to pick him for that yeah I think you've um You've got to try and play guys in. It's the big challenge for the Northern, Hem- Northern Hemisphere teams is trying to, you know, get yourself up to that top gear um, for the really crucial games. And I don't think they have much time to do that. I think they've Samo- the, the Samoa game, they can, they, he'll probably want, you know, uh, one last look at a few people. And I'm sure they're pretty close to knowing what the squad is, but they probably just want one last look and they probably want to get a few guys game time. Um, that could be very, very important. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think they're going to have to play their fir- the the first team. I, I go back to this the Leinster error in the in the league semi final of not picking guy not not picking people when it really in, for for the matches that really count. And 
no matter what you say, every group every group match really matters. Like I, I'm not sure they have to play all 15, but they have to play a large portion of their, what they think their first 15 is. So whether that's 10 or 11 guys minimum, I think you've got to pick for that game. You just have to get them up to speed. I, I thought looking at the game um, that they had that end of preseason look to them, even their bodies, they look like they're in super shape, but they look leggy. You know, that kind of, you've been doing weights for like whatever, 13, 14 weeks or whatever, however long it is. They've been doing obviously their running and their and, and their training, but there's a different shape to people coming back in, having, uh, having trained and eating perfectly in camp for all this period. Um, and what you look like when you're really, really flying, when you're match fit for for knockout rugby. So I think there's a little bit of that to, to go to. That was just, look, I, I was talking to my, my father about that one, who's obviously, you know, he knows the game too as, a, as an ex-international. And um, that was his view too, is that they, you know, completely understandable. They've had, a, looks like they've had a good preseason. It looks like they've done lots of skills, as you mentioned, because I did think the game, look, it was messy at times, but there was lots of stuff that had nice flow to it. Even when England had 15 guys on the pitch, that ball handling looked good. The positioning, it was a little off. Guys a little bit flat. Some of the passing wasn't great here and there. Completely expect that at this stage. Um, But you need to now play guys in. Have one last look, Samoa. Get a few guys who you think maybe "Mm, that person could do it a bit more game time, but then you got to hit the ground running and, and get people into that match shape um, for the really crucial game. So so that's my take on, on, on the game and and what they should do this weekend and, and what they should do for that first one in the pool. Yeah, it's a funny one, Keen. Like Samoa this weekend, if Ireland win, I think it'll be a 13th consecutive win, which would be an all-time record for the Irish team. It kind of hasn't really been mentioned at all, maybe because it's a warm-up game, but it just shows the consistency of of this last little run they've been on. Basically, since the team hit their straps kind of at the end of the 2021 Six Nations, I think they've won 24 of their last 26 matches, which is a phenomenal record. Just just those two defeats, a narrow one in France in that first test where they kind of had a bit of a, a kind of a systems failure after after the first quarter. But it, it just shows how good a place they are going into this World Cup. I, like, Dan Sheehan aside, obviously we discussed that at length. Everything seems to be falling nicely into place. There's not too much shot coming out of the camp. As we said, they looked sharp in their first two warm-up matches. By and large, the, the, the team is quite fit, even compared to some of their rivals on their own side of the draw, let alone the basket cases on the opposite side of the draw. Like, things are looking... I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I see I feel like I'm getting too positive, but things are looking good, I think. Will is getting very giddy here, Luke, isn't he? <laughs> basket case on the other side of the draw. That's big. That's, that's being generous. To that's quotable. Case. That's quotable back to you um, in a situation where you completely brained it. Yeah. No, I like that one. I think we need to put, put that one in the memory bank, uh, Keen. Yeah, I can I can sense the World Cup excitement is really notching up here. Uh, you love to see it, though. You love to see it. Um, you're, you're right, though, Will. I mean, Ireland are in a good place, Dan Sheen aside. It's also worth uh, mentioning as well. I know it doesn't have a huge amount of relevance come the World Cup because it's going to be on in France, but they're on a record uh, home run uh, at the moment as well. That was their 16th win in a row last weekend. Um, and you know what? Obviously, like uh, all of this kind of stems from um, what they did in New Zealand last summer, but... Like even when you think back to beating France in the Six Nations earlier this year, again I know it was in Dublin, very different challenge playing them in Paris if that comes to pass. But Ireland have beaten all of the the big teams in this World Cup cycle, which I think is really important. I think if they had lost that if to France, particularly at home, I think that would have been a real kind of monkey that would have still been on their backs. You know, if you can't beat them at home, how do you expect to beat them in France? Couple of, uh, kind of a thing, particularly with how the game in Paris went um, in last year's Six Nations. So I thought that was huge as well in terms of the momentum on, on the road to this World Cup. Really, really important. Um, like Ireland go into the World Cup like not fearing anything really. And that's a, that's a really good place to be. I mean, um, they've already, they beat South Africa. I know it was South Africa weren't at their best last November, but they still beat them. Um, they've beaten the All Blacks um, in New Zealand. Like that fear factor still, it's just not there what it used to be. So uh, things are falling nicely. I just hope that when we're having our big sort of tournament preview this time next week, that we're not talking about anyone else injured off the back of the Samoa game, because like throughout the whole course of the three games, this is what you were worried about, wasn't it? Like someone like a Dan Sheehan would pick up an injury. And you see that it's happening. So many other teams, you look at Roman Entomac, like just so cruel, Jack Van Portley, four feet for England, Alan Alatoa for Australia, like the list goes on. And even like the France squad was named on Monday and, you know, they're carrying Cyril Boy, who's supposed to be ruled out for six weeks. So 
he'd, he'd fall into the similar kind of category as Dan Sheehan, wouldn't he, in terms of just being so important, worth taking the risk and bringing him. So, um, yeah, I just hope that, yeah, when we're chatting next week, that someone else kind of isn't in that category and that when Andy Farrell names his squad publicly anyway, at least, even though there's sort of some murmurings that he might even name his squad privately before Monday. Uh, well, sorry, he's, uh, he will before Monday, but even before the game this weekend, um, after the match on Saturday, he seemed pretty confident, I would say, with what he was going to do. Now, obviously, a lot depends on Dan Sheehan. So that's a great place to be as well, Will. Uh, the fact that the team is so settled, the squad is so settled, um, it bodes well. So uh, what can go wrong, basically? Well, yeah, and so if, Ireland, <laughs> if Ireland, you know, get their record win this weekend, if they can keep winning, they'd be going for a world record equaling 18 victory in a row for the World Cup quarterfinal. So it'll be all very nicely poised, potentially, uh, if, if they can keep that, that Brilliant, winning. Will. That's exactly what we need, to just build everything up, just add another little bit of pressure to a situation that we've, we're all fearing. Thanks uh, a lot for that. Yeah, another bag <laughs> to the extensive baggage already shouldn't shouldn't make too much of a difference. Um, one uh, talking point that I want to get both of your opinions on is now that both out halves, you know, behind Johnny Sexton have got a start. Uh, Luke, I'll go to you first. Like, what's your feelings on you know who will take that starting jersey for the you know you know so, or sorry the, the, the replacement jersey uh, uh, for the, that first World Cup warm up game or World Cup game? Sorry, I'm all over the place here. Yeah, no, I get no, I know what you're saying. Yeah, no, I think it's burned for me. Uh, thought he was really good in the weekend. Um, thought some tackling, maybe some of his tackling could have been a little bit better. Um, Crowley definitely has an edge on him in that department, so he needs to sharpen up because that's a that's a very important part as a professional rugby player. No matter what position you play, you, you've just got to be able to tackle and, and do it well. Um, and that's a definite edge for Crowley there. Um, but no, I think it's got to be burned for me. I know there's been a, there was a lot of chat out of I, I saw a few ex players. Uh, and kind of pundits talking uh, talking up Crowley, and he is. I, I just love him as a player. Um, and maybe talking about the end of last season, I just think they're talking about apples and oranges between the league and playing against La Rochelle. To be honest with you, um, you know, I think there was a lot read in. It was a brilliant drop kick against Leinster, but it was a Leinster seconds team. Like I think you just got to everyone just needs to take a breath, you know, because he didn't play unbelievably well in some of the other games. He's he, very good now, and I think he is the future. If you ask me honestly, I think he's the future. But right now. Byrne is there. He plays the position non like all the time. Um, I like that Crowley has a little bit of um, variation, but I just think pick the pure ten. Uh, he's led Leinster, you know, really, really well last season for pretty much the, the vast majority of the season. Um, he is a, a pressure player, despite some of the garbage that was talked about the the, the Heineken Cup final, and he's done it in a, in a, in a green jersey for Farrell. Um, so I, I think they'll go with him. I think they should go with him. Um, he's just got a little bit more experience there in the pocket and you're maybe have you lose a little bit of X factor but you gain a little bit of um, security maybe and, and, and less volatility around him um, it's a very very tight battle I get why people are talking about it but I thought there was some weird rhetoric around Byrne that I just thought I, I was on my mind I was going to bring it up if you didn't if you didn't ask the question to be honest with you Will um, it's players that hadn't really been played again, close to that position talking rubbish so uh, about Byrne um but uh, no, I, I'm uh, I'm very I, as I said to you a couple of weeks ago. I know there was I was kind of laughed off. I think Ireland are actually really strong in that position. I think both both guys are actually excellent rugby players. Um, and I was I would have been so much more worried with Sexton in this position, the team having to play the first couple of you know first three or two, first couple of uh, sorry games uh, without him in the past. I'm less worried about that now. I think even if he got an injury, I think there's guys there that we can trust. Um, and they're big game players, both of them. But burn for me at the moment. In retrospect, it's probably a good thing that Johnny Sexton isn't playing these games just so we get to have a little more uh, exposure for, for the two out-halves. Keen, what's your view? Though? You know, Crowley's an interesting one. Like, he only got 40 minutes at out-half against Italy and then he was put to full back. And I know people are saying it's really good for your versatility, but I'd be very annoyed if I was him at the same time. Like, he, he got the, he's been playing centre, he's been playing full back, and he's been playing out-half. He hasn't actually got, like, the sustained run across the two games that he probably would have liked. But, but where do you weigh in on, um, on the kind of the, the talking point? I think the Ireland coaches will go with Ross Byrne when it comes down to it. And I can understand why. I agree that it's a very tight battle. But if it was me, I'd go for Jack Crowley um, for a few reasons. I'm not sure I agree fully with Luke that he's delivered for Andy Farrell in a green jersey. Um, he came on and obviously kicked the goal like absolutely brilliantly against Australia. But like it wasn't just his fault. But Ireland's worst performance of the Six Nations was in Rome. Um, he was obviously starting that day. The midfield just didn't work at and all. The midfield was, was, was a joke that yeah, day. No, 
Absolutely. And like even at the weekend, I thought Ross Byrne played very well when Ireland got on top. But in that first half, I'm not sure he like he had a couple of couple of ropey moments. I thought a few passes and okay, like you allow for that first game of the season, but it wasn't quite the commanding performance. I think uh, a lot of people were were hoping for. So um, I still think it's it's a live battle. I think Crowley. So the reason that I would go with Crowley is because when I'm putting myself in Andy Farrell's shoes, like he likes to pick a centre. Like I think it's either going to be Bundyaki or Gary, or sorry, Bundyaki or Robbie Henshaw is going to be number 23 on the bench. And if you go that way, I think it, there's a comfort in having uh, Jack Crowley's versatility. Also, if you're looking to chase a game or change it up, I think Jack Crowley is like, is that guy. If Johnny Sexton was out injured, I think you would start Ross Byrne. Um, if that makes sense. I know I'm kind of talking in riddles here, but if Johnny Sexton's out, I think you start Ross Byrne because he can slot into the system really, really well. Sorry, sorry, are you talking about the, like, so are you talking about the situation where Johnny Sexton is back or are we talking about, like, the, the ones where Johnny Sexton's not available? I, I was kind of talking about when Johnny Sexton's not available, who starts? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm saying if Johnny Sexton picked up an injury in the Romania game and was ruled out, I think Ross Byrne would be your starting 10 because I think he's more comfortable in the systems. He can yeah, come yeah, in and yeah. slot in there. But if Johnny Sexton, which he will be, is fit, I would pick Jack Crowley as the backup 10 because he just gives you something a little bit different off the bench. I think Ross Byrne and Johnny Sexton are cut from the same cloth. And I think if you have a Ross Byrne and a Bundyaki on the bench and you get a couple of injuries in the back, I think you're limited in terms of what you can do. So um, it sounds like Jack Crowdy is going to get the start this weekend. I, I I would still say that Andy Farrell probably has a fair idea of what he's going to do. I'm not sure how much will change on the back of the game this weekend. But um, if it was me, I would go Jack Crowley. I think he... I understand the point that you make, Luke, about... You know, it wasn't quite against La Rochelle and it was a second string Leinster team. But I mean, the South African teams that Munster played against were full of Springbok internationals. You know what I mean? So I think we have to give the URC a little bit more credit than we probably have been um, in the past. And he did play very well um, for it. So I think he's got a lot of momentum behind him. I think he's carried it well into preseason. I know the point you made, Will, that he only got 40 minutes and that's fair enough. But I think there was a circumstances around that. I think Ireland were keen to get a look at Kieran Frawley at 10. And I think there's a comfort in knowing that you can put Jack Crowley back to 15 if needed. So um, he'd be the guy I would go with. But my sense is that Ross Byrne in the Ireland coach's mind is probably still just ahead. Yeah, well, that's definitely one of the interesting talking points we'll be looking out for when the team is announced for the Samoa game. Even whoever gets the nod there, you'd presume is probably going to back up Johnny Sexton in that opening game against Romania. That's if that's the way Andy Farrell selects it for that first game. It still remains to be seen. Um, one thing I want to ask both of you about, because it, uh, the story broke just after we recorded last week, so myself and Rudd jumped on for a quick emergency podcast that we tacked onto the front of it. That's the Owen Farrell controversy. You know, first him getting off. Obviously, we talked about it, the tackle last week, Luke. And then we're Rugby now appealing it, obviously. And by the time people listen to this, you know, a judgment may well have been made, but I think it could be late into the night before that happens. But what did you make of the whole kind of, him getting off and then we will be going back and appealing it. It's it's an unusual situation. It's not good ahead of the World Cup to have this sort of uncertainty and and kind of just a bit of a, a bit of a shambles really about the whole disciplinary process. Yeah, really shambolic, you know. And I don't even think when they published it, they published the kind of uh, the the kind of process that they went through. You know, there wasn't much color given as to how the decision was actually made. Really, I didn't think. Um, yeah, it's really not ideal, you know, and it's very. But it's very bad for England's preparation for for the World Cup, and it seems like there's a bit of a populist kind of ring to it, doesn't it? Uh, in that, you know, there was such uproar, um, you know, after the decision was made that they felt like they obviously had to make a decision. Now, I look, I think it was the wrong decision first and foremost. Um, you know, I was, uh, you know, there was a, a part of me that really felt for kind of the, the Farrell family. Um, you know, it's obviously been a rough couple of weeks. You know, I, I completely hear Andy Farrell on that. I'm not even sure why we asked him the question. It's an interesting talking point. You're obviously he's obviously going to be you know, um, coming out on the side of his family, I completely understand that, you know, but I think there, he he talked about a, a human element to it and I've kind of wanted to cover this and he was having a go at kind of, I'm sure there was a load of people that just jumped on board and had some awful things to say about Farrell. That's that's not what we did, I don't think. I think we commented on it and thought, like, I, I felt like I gave an honest, uh, you know, view on, on what I thought about the incident and, and what I think about his technique. Um, you know, and I think it's it's very, very bad technique. Not 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 a good technique to be using on your fellow pros. There's another side to to what he said about the, the human element to it. What about the guy who's been injured? That's a there's a human element and an impact for that person too. 
Um, and if he continues to do a bad technique, um, you know, and, and we don't see any change in it, like, of course, there's going to be uproar about it because, yeah, we get he's got a human element in his family, but there's another family that have a human element to the impact of not improving this technique and not making an effort to do it. Um, so I want to say that as well. Um, you know, I think when he comes out and says something like that, he's a kind of a, he's a real hard man, isn't he, Andy Farrell? And everyone kind of takes a step back going, oh, well, like, you know, that's a very emotional comment for a guy who's a, a real traditional hard man, you know, and, and I'm kind of going, geez, when did I go too far? And I said, no, I actually think I was perfectly right with what I said and, and I stand by my view on it. Um, and maybe he was talking to a lot of the kind of other stuff that might have been said about Owen Farrell. I'm, not, I'm, I'm sure he probably is. Um, but I think it's important to say that there's a human side to the other side of the tackle as well, not just the person who's been talked about. And of course, there's going to be massive, um, you know, kind of media coverage around the England captain. It's still one of the biggest roles in rugby, you know, from a player perspective. So um, I think it's right that they reviewed it, but I think it, it, it does throw up nearly more problems than it than it solves, I think. Um, like the initial, what, whatever happened at the initial ruling is something that they're going to have to take a serious look at because I can't see anyone who's in the know in the game that thinks that that was uh, the correct technique and that's something that we want to keep in the game and something that we shouldn't be punishing. Um, don't know if you have a view on that, Keen, or want to weigh in. That, that's just my my opinion on it. Yeah, like the Andy Farrell stuff is 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 interesting because look, I think every time Ireland are playing England, he puts a big ring around, a circle around his calendar and is kind of preparing himself for the inevitable questions about his son that are going to come. So I think when this incident blew up, he was probably going, oh no, this is the last thing I need because look, he doesn't really like kind of going there. And to be fair, but when he was asked the question, I was there at the press conference last week, he did say, look, anything that I say is going to be flawed because like I'm a father and it looked like he wasn't going to go into it. But then I don't know, something obviously went off in his head and he remembered, I guess in the, in the later section, he referenced the impact that it's had on Andy's wife and obviously Owen's mother. And he decided then to give that answer. And look, I could understand where he was coming from. I, my sense was that I don't think he is, annoyed and I could be wrong I don't think he's annoyed with certainly what you lads were discussing last week or that kind of thing I think he understands that there's going to be a discussion around the England captain for sure but also about a player who is has been a repeat offender who just, that just happens to be his son I think it's more probably the stuff that the family have been seeing on social media and uh, to be honest this is something I was chatting to with Sinead on the podcast last week that and this is, and I said it before Andy Farrell um, came out with his comments that it's a bit like, I think, the way Johnny Sexton is probably viewed outside of Ireland. I mean, a lot of people just love to hate Johnny Sexton. I mean, a guy, he plays on the edge, sometimes steps over the edge, but that's what makes him a great player. And I think that Owen Farrell falls into that category as well. Roy Keane was another one, you know, back in the day. But I think Owen Farrell falls into that category Um I don't know, playing for Saracens, I don't think would do you many favours from people who don't support Saracens with everything that they've been through. Um, And there has been a lot of, you know, kind of, even from English people, English fans, just like kind of, I think getting personal, like and kind of taking a little step too far. So that would be my sense that what has annoyed Andy Farrell. I don't think there's any problem in having a conversation, which is what I think you're referring to, Luke, about the incident itself, like how this is not a good look for the game. I mean, that is part and parcel of our job and that we need to discuss it because this is exactly what World Rugby are trying to stamp out of the game. And this is why World Rugby have launched the appeal. Like you said, Will, by the time people are listening to this, the, the decision will already have been made. But certainly like behind the scenes, you hear that it could be very tough for World Rugby to, to prove it, which... Like it feels like a bit of a watershed moment um, for the sport. I have to say, like when you have the governing body coming out appealing against a decision. So if it's not successful, I mean, are we saying that tackles like that come the World Cup are, are, are going to be deemed acceptable, or is it down to purely the disciplinary committee? Because I would think that a different disciplinary committee who were in that room last week might have looked at that incident very differently. So it just shows how subjective it is. It's it's a real mess on the right. Yeah. Three, Aussies, three Aussies didn't seem right. Did that, did that seem right to anyone to have on, on, on the committee? Like, surely well, you have a bit, a bit of a spread or something. Like, because I just feel like the Southern Hemisphere just... I don't know whether it's dawned on them yet what's coming down the track. Luke, Luke, for, it, really, it really hasn't. And I remember talking to you lads when I was in New Zealand I know, last I year. That's what I'm kind of referencing. Haven't yeah. been, like, 
when you're on the ground in these places, like you can see it from watching Super Rugby games and watching Rugby Championship, the way it's refereed. But honestly, lads, having been over in New Zealand and talking to whether it was journalists, I remember I was talking to even people who worked for like the New Zealand Union in behind the scenes. And their whole view is like, you know, we need the 20 minute red card and things like this because it just red cards ruin games. They're... And I know I'm tiring like almost an entire hemisphere and which is not fair at all. But certainly from certainly from the people I was speaking to in New Zealand last year, uh, they are of the view that red cards ruin games. And I know from our chats and the podcasts over the last while, we don't agree with that at all. I think the bunker system that's been brought in is a very good idea. But yet that failed in the eyes of the disciplinary committee last uh, last week. So it's a real mess on the eve of the World Cup. It, it could make for like an absolute chaos uh, at the World Cup because referees are going to be hot on these kind of tackles. But the discrepancy between, I think, the way referees look at it is very, very interesting. And just before we came on the podcast, the, the referees were confirmed for Ireland's pool games. And it's probably worth mentioning that. So Nick uh, Am- Amish Aveli, Will, you normally have a good pronunciation for him. Um, yeah, he's a referee right. for Romania. Wayne Barnes is the ref for Tonga. And then this is the interesting one. So Ben O'Keefe, um, obviously a New Zealander, is going to referee the South Africa game. And then Nick Berry is going to be in charge of Scotland. So, so much of rugby is down to, obviously, the interpretation of, of the referee. But when you have referees from diff- different hemispheres potentially viewing instances in different ways, it makes it tricky. It makes it tricky. And there's a big onus, I think, on the Ireland coaches and players to have done their homework and to adapt for, for what's ahead. Well, one thing from an Irish perspective, you know, Andy Farrell mentioned the importance of discipline. I think in, in that 26-match run, 24 victories, two defeats, I think they've only had one red card, Bundy Aki against England, which was the very first uh, match in that um, run. So 25 matches without a red card. Not that you'd be giving them a trophy for it or anything like that. But Ireland, to be fair, do seem to get... A, they don't seem to be involved in as many of those instances. I don't think it's getting favorable calls or anything. They don't seem to be, you know, having been sent up to the TMO for, for various things that other teams have got. But I done. think there's an emphasis, Will, on, on, I think there's a recognition, and this is what the red card is for. There's a recognition that, you know, you need to be operating within the rules because the red card has such an impact on you uh, on the day. So there's an, em- there's like, w- once you do that, once you recognize the importance of, having 15 men on the pitch at all times, then you have to look at what the risk factors are that that you have to consider. And, and if you're not looking at your tackling and your technique and you're not saying it to players, you're letting your whole team down. Plus, you're obviously, like the other side is obviously endangering o- other professional rugby players. Um, you know, that's a hard thing to say to players because you're going out to like physically dominate people in a very combative sport. But once you recognize that the impact, even from a playing perspective of... Uh, how that will you know shape the the outcome of the game once you do that you can't but focus on it and say lads this is where like you know if you're going into a tackle wrap that arm you know no none of this kind of straight arm tucked arm kind of shoulder first into head get low early uh you know make sure you're anticipating where there could be an issue or if you have to pull back pull back, make sure you take the guy down. But, you know, if you have to pull back slightly, you have to do that. You know, if you're going to be, if you if you think you're going to be coming into that kind of danger zone where you're hitting someone in the head, um, look for shoulders and sides of necks instead of the top of the head. All these kind of things are kind of important things to consider. And it's a reason why Ireland have been successful. And it's a reason Ireland were very, very successful under Joe Schmidt as well. Discipline is such an important part of it. If you can keep uh, you know, yellow cards and penalties and red cards to to have you know at the very uh, at a minimum. All of a sudden, uh, particularly over a large body of work, over say what you're talking about, 24 games here. If Ireland, I bet you that's probably one of the best disciplinary records of any team in the world over that period. I I I, I would nearly bet the house that Ireland have, probably have the best one, right? And there's to my mind, then there's no there's no real surprise that Ireland are the number one team in the world. It's a weird stat because lots of things will equal themselves out over the course of, you know, 24 rugby games. Um, but if you have an, if you find an edge and I remember Joe Schmidt finding an edge in the disciplinary stuff, there's no way Andy Farrell hasn't emphasized it either and play and said, that's so important for this team straight away. That's an edge for you. And, and I think that's one thing that Ireland do really well, have for a long period of time. And that's why we've been at the top of the game for a very long period of time. Mm. Kim, one thing I'd like to ask you before we, we wrap up, like what do you make generally of World Rugby appealing the decision? Like part of me wonders, 
whether it's a it's good for the governing body to be sticking their oar in like this. I think it's only ever been done three times, I think, in the history of the disciplinary process, I'm pretty sure I read. Like, I feel like because it was on file, because there was so much social media outrage, like ultimately World Rugby have this framework in place. An independent committee assesses the incident and makes a ruling. We think they got the ruling wrong, but does that mean that World Rugby should then pick and choose which cases they go to bat for? There's been plenty of lousy disciplinary... But it's such a bad look, Will. It's such know, a bad look. Versus the, versus, no, versus the tier two, leaving, leaving that aside, some of the instances, sorry, I, I'm, I'm obviously I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what Keen has to say as well, but did you see the outrage from some of the tier two guys who've been blocked? Like, it's basically like, who's got the best lawyer? Like, I think they have to step in and say, hang on, it's just not equitable. I don't care how good your lawyer is or how what happened in that hearing. This is not fair to the other teams who now have guys... Do you, do you see any of that stuff? Uh, no, I, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with those points. But my my point is like, which why? What, there's been loads of terrible disciplinary decisions over the years. Like, why are where will be this one? Why is this the one they say? Oh, we're will, will it's, it's because I think it's the the nature of the tackle and World Rugby as the governing body are under a serious amount of pressure in legal battles behind the scenes with guys, you know, who have played back in the day coming out and alleging that they suffered brain injuries. World rugby are doing everything they can, whether it's reducing the tackle height um, and things like that, trying to make the game safer. And look, I think they had to come out and appeal it. I understand the point you're making. And for anyone who's listening and wondering, was it not world rugby who, who made the decision? The six nations uh, were the ones in charge of the, of the games over the summer. So they were the ones who implemented the disciplinary independent but committee. It's an independent but committee anyway. Like it wouldn't be, it's not World Rugby or Six Nations. How is it three, how is it three Aussies on, on an independent committee? Seriously, is that not bizarre? Like, is it sure it's former, a dip? Two former players as well, which I don't know, are they. <laughs> Are they out of touch? I mean, are they still kind of thinking back to when, like, one of them was John Langford, who obviously played for Munster. Uh, I don't know, are they thinking back to what it was like back then? And the reality is that the game has changed. So um, I think World Rugby will have to come out um, and, and do this. I don't think it's something that going forward that you want to see that every single decision gets appealed. But I felt like they probably had to come out and, and do it. But whether they'll be successful or not uh, very much remains to be seen. But like, the fact like we're and we're talking about this as you know an Irish focused podcast like can you imagine what they're like in England like they've Billy Vunapola up at another disciplinary hearing and their discipline has been absolutely shocking but the point we're how like I'm trying to make is that we're having such big debates about this now I mean the World Cup is starting in a couple of weeks it's just really really not ideal that we're in this position now we should be talking more about you know the rugby on the pitch but like like I said, it's only two weeks away. I think it's going to be messy in terms of some of the decisions, some of the discrepancies in the way that the different hemisphere referees and, and not even high shot stuff around the breakdown and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, I, I'm I'm foreseeing plenty of carnage if, if I'm being honest, because if it's like this now in the build up to the World Cup, what's it going to be like in a couple of weeks? Yeah, it's definitely going to be one of the big talking points over the next coming weeks. But for now, I'd like to thank Luke and Keane and Rudd earlier for joining me on this week's episode of the Left Wing Podcast. I'll be back later in the week with Rudd digesting the Ireland team news. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. This is an Irish independent podcast.